welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, and Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. I'm JJ Jerez, your host. With me, of course, Double A Arif Dean and Patrick Stedman on the controls. Arif, we called it. That's all. That's how I'm going to start. Obviously, happy Halloween, everybody. Hope everybody's getting spooky and being safe out there, keeping it easy on the candy. But we 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 were spot on on our last podcast. We called it. The Avalanche had a great opportunity to get two wins here, and what happens? Boom, two wins back to back. So, how are you, Arif? How do you like those wins? I am doing well. I love the intro. Love the Halloween theme there at the beginning. Scared the crap out of me. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we. I mean, look, I I don't like to say must win unless you know you're down three to two in the playoffs, and you know, let's call a spade a spade. That's a must win. And I don't, certainly don't like to say must win in game seven and eight of the regular season. Um, but I took a shot and we got it. So if you're looking for lottery numbers, hit me up so I can pull five numbers out of my ass that are not going to win anything, but uh, pretend that I am good at this prediction thing. But yeah, the Avalanche had a chance, a big chance, obviously, to defeat a St. Louis Blues team that was missing O'Reilly and Brandon Saad, a couple of former Avs, that was undefeated, and then a chance to beat a Minnesota Wild team that they always play well against, even though they came into the game five and two, and they were five and one when we recorded. So two massive wins. And uh, they did it in really good fashion. I mean, against the Blues, they played great. Uh, even though it was a one-goal game, it kind of the score didn't tell the whole story. And against Minnesota, like there was no point at any time of that game on Saturday, yesterday, where you genuinely felt like the Avalanche were going to lose. Like they looked good throughout. And even when the Minnesota Wild tied it late in the second period, it was okay. You know, it was their second power play opportunity in a row and you just felt the avalanche were going to get it back. And lo and behold, they did not even, you know, two minutes later with that goal from Eric Johnson and took over in the third period, obviously had a five minute power play and, you know, just brought the game home. Nice game, easy, solid win. As soon as they pulled their goalie, they scored. And it was, it was a simple avalanche win. It felt like 2021 season all over again. Yeah, we're going to go backwards here and we're going to talk about the Minnesota Wild game first. Um, and I want to start with that right there with the EJ goal, right? Because I think one the, the best part of the night, in my opinion, was the, uh, I guess, the fire that Nathan McKinnon had in his belly, right, against the Wild. And on that EJ goal, he goes in the corner, blows up uh, the defenseman, who was Brodine, Brodine. I think. Yep. And uh, yeah, Brodine. and then gets the puck to EJ and EJ just buries it. So, I mean, just a genius play by Nathan McKinnon there. I mean, he still held it one goal, but the impact he had on that Minnesota game was very felt. Yeah, and uh, the 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 impact he had on the Minnesota game physically was awesome. And I just loved the passion that those top guys brought. You know, we saw McKinnon obviously bring it physically right there in the corner, and that's not even the most physical thing he did of the night. And then Eric Johnson's celebration was just hmm. like... We often see EJ score and, you know, outside of that goal where he scored against uh, the Winnipeg Jets in overtime to clinch that playoff berth a few years ago where he like just sallied like hell and Sam Gerrard tried to jump him and just landed in his lap. Uh, <laughs> ever since then, you know, you haven't really seen EJ celebrate hard when he scores. He often doesn't. But that celebration was great. And if you, you know, really think back to everything that dude has been through and the fact that he hasn't scored since March 6, 2020 six days before the NHL went on to its COVID pause. It's been a while for him. And, and Nathan McKinnon's tweet, uh, not tweet, sorry, his quote said it all. He said, uh, I think you see the emotion on his face. In years past when he scores, he's calm. But everybody knows how hard EJ has worked to get back to where he is. Last summer, we didn't even know, and he didn't even know if he would ever play hockey ever again. 
And I think we often don't really take into account some of the recoveries these players go through. And, and Eric Johnson was one of them. I don't think we really, you know, we made a lot of jokes about he's over the hill or not jokes, but we made a lot of observations that he's over the hill and he's, he's injury prone and he's a beat up 33 year old and, you know, sh- should maybe get bought out or traded and bought out and signed for a million, all these things, not take into account that what he was doing was just busting his ass off to get to a point where he can play eight straight games like he has this year which is already double what he played last year. Yeah, I mean, you love you love the celebration. You love that toothless smile out of EJ, right? But you also love the way he was playing. He's he's laying out, blocking shots. There was that moment where he couldn't even skate because he took one in the ankle, but he's still laying out and blocking more shots and just swallowing them like a champ, right? And uh, you saw at the end of the St. Louis game, we'll get into that in a second, but at the end you saw Logan O'Connor make a block right? Just a a kind of game saving block at the buzzer. And EJ goes right at him and hugs him. And he's like, hell yeah, nice block. So, you know, you you love the buying in from EJ on those blocks. I mean, he's always done it. It's not a surprise, but just, you know, just to see him still contributing in that way. But back to Nathan McKinnon, you know, I really feel like he's obviously inching towards being back to normal, right? I think he's going to bust out for some goals here. He had that one sick-ass move that he put between the guy's leg and then ultimately just shot it right into Cam Talbot's belly. Um, But I think here in a couple days, weeks, you know, a few more games down the road, he's going to be roofing that and putting that in the back of the net rather than right in the goalie's stomach. So I think he's inching his way there. He's getting there, yeah. So uh, really quick on EJ before I get to McKinnon. Eric Johnson had a good quote yesterday about that block. He said, it seems like the puck on those kind of shots always finds the one part of your body that doesn't have any padding, which, you know, a regular hockey player would say. And then my favorite part was when he added, and you know me in my history, I have all these extra pads in my equipment and it still got me somewhere where there was no padding. So (laughs) just, you know, shout out to EJ for that block. It was a great play. Um, Nathan McKinnon. So it's, he's, he's quietly putting up points. He has nine points in six games. He's had a point and I believe every single game this season, let me fact check that. Yeah, correct. He has gotten a point in every single game this season. He has nine points in six games. Everything about that says he's having a pretty good season. The only thing is he's got one goal and it was the goal against Tampa Bay, that power play goal, the, the one timer, um, And McKinnon's kind of a weird case lately in terms of scoring, because if you look at 18, 19, and 20, those three seasons, you know, the the three years where he initially broke out, he had 39 goals in 74 games, 41 in 82 games, and then 35 in 69. So he's operating at over, he was operating at over a half a goal per game, a 40 to 45 goal pace per season. Last year, it dropped a little bit. He only had 20 goals in the 48 games. And you're kind of like, ooh, Nathan McKinnon should be scoring more goals. And then he comes out in the playoffs and has eight goals in 10 games. Like just total domination. Eight goals, 15 points in those 10 playoff games last year. Now, here we are again this year. He's played six games. He only has one goal. That's not the best pace, obviously. He's not going to score one goal every six games. But something just seems a little weird where it's like he turns it on in the playoffs, but you want to still see him score 40 or 50 in the regular season. And I think he's right there. seeing the chances that he's been getting the last couple of games, that beautiful play that you just mentioned where he put the puck between the defenseman's legs and then, you know, shot it right into Talbot. He kind of ran out of room and had nowhere to shoot it at that point. But you see it starting to come and you start a set. You're starting to get the sense that he's about to go on a streak where he scores eight goals in 10 games to go on with all the assists that he's racking up. Yep, he's Nathan McKinnon, and the last two games have shown that he's he's finally got his feet back under him. You got to remember, this is a guy that missed the first 
two or three games or whatever it was of the regular season and and needed to do a little bit of catching up and needed to do it with Landeskog suspended and then with McKinnon or with Ranton in hurt and then Burakovsky goes down and like just kind of a whirlwind of teammates. So it's 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 great to see him coming back to life. Um, he was not invisible, not even a little bit yesterday or against the Blues. I still think he needs to shoot the puck a bit more. You know, I'm, I'm pulling up the uh, shot on goal stats so far from the season and I don't see him anywhere near even the top... 50. It looks like JT Comfer is even has more shots on goal than Nathan McKinnon. So maybe it's part of his mindset this year. You know, maybe he's trying to make the people around him better. Right. And we mentioned last podcast, Burakovsky getting the chance to skate with him. Of course, it's due to the Miko Rantanen absence rather than putting Landis Gog down on the second line to bolster that line a bit. But Burakovsky made us a, a great play right on the uh, first goal to Landis Gog. And, you know, I think that's just kind of what we love to see McKinnon and Burakovsky together because it makes both of them better. So I, I, I don't know. But what, what do you think on that? Why do you think he's not getting as much shots? Do you think it's just, he, again, he's inching his way there or maybe his mindset has changed a bit? He, he just isn't taking a lot of shots yet this year. So when I looked back at his last four seasons in 19 and in 20 and even last year in 2021, it was 4.4, 4.6 and 4.2 shots per game. This season in six games, he has exactly 18 shots, which is a solid three three shots per game. So he's missing about a shot and a half extra per game, which is about an extra nine shots, which if he took an extra nine shots, he's probably got two or three more goals, even though he's only shooting 5% right now. But, you know, that's going to eventually regress back to the mean. So he's just not shooting the puck as much yet. And uh, that'll change eventually. I mean, this is a guy that in an 82 game season should have over 350 shots consistently. And the last time he played 82 games, well, the last time the NHL played 82 games, he had 365 shots. So that should be the norm for him. And uh, you're going to start to see that pick up here hopefully soon. Um, but, you know, it'll probably be closer to 350 than it is to that 365 number he hit. Number one, he missed a couple games early on in the season. And number two, Miko Rantanen is kind of a shooter too now. So when they're both back and healthy and playing together, they're kind of going to split duties there a little bit. But yeah, he just hasn't shot the puck as much as he usually does. And uh I, I just, I can't see that sort of continuing all year. Well, and I mean, maybe that's a great sign, right? That the Avalanche are finding ways to win and, and have won as many games as they have without him putting the puck on net that much. So without having to rely on him like they have in years past and have to put all the weight on his shoulders, they're still finding ways to win and he's still getting involved. So, um, you know, I think it's trending the right direction and there, there's absolutely nothing to worry about. I, I, you love the assist category, right? That's a, a lot of assists and um, wins. That's what matters most. So I, I, maybe it's a mental change he made, maybe not, but either way, I think it's working out so far. But um, yeah, anything else you want to comment on that before we move on? No, I mean, uh, I will, I actually, I will just say that, you know, his line mate, Gabe Landeskog has been playing damn well and mm -hmm. uh, has 19 shots in six games himself. So he's also missed two games and he's got one shot more than um, Nate. The difference between Nate, Nate and uh, Gabe right now is Gabe is shooting at 21%, which isn't going to be consistent throughout the season. The only guy I ever seen shoot that high of a percentage is Tange, and that's because he would take 40 shots and score, <laughs> you know, a quarter of them because he never shot the puck. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's getting help. Landis Gog is playing damn well this season. I will say, by the way, there's a, there's a, there's a time in this life where we need to dedicate like an hour of an episode to just how damn good Gabe Landis Gog has been this year and kind of the fire that he's had all season, sometimes kind of crossing the line uh, after signing a big money deal that usually makes players kind of take a step back and chill a bit. So shout out to Gabe. But yeah, when you have guys like that, like Gabe and, and Miko who's scoring and JT Comfer and, 
you know, even Darren Helm and Logan O'Connor trying to pitch in as much as they can every single shift. Uh, you're, you know, you're not going to shoot as much. You're going to kind of spread the wealth a little bit, but obviously it's, it's not going to continue for all year. You're going to want to see Nate shoot more and he will, and he'll score a lot more than one goal. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I think along with that, with Nathan McKinnon kind of inching his way towards his regular game, I think we're seeing Darcy Kemper inch his way, maybe even bigger than that. I think he's developing it a little bit faster, right? I mean, against Minnesota might've been his best game as an avalanche. He played pretty strong against St. Louis. So I think we're starting to see the Darcy Kemper we were expecting finally. Yeah, it was kind of a weird stretch because against, against the Tampa Bay Lightning, obviously Tampa got that third goal. And then against the Golden Knights, he only let in two, but the Avalanche just didn't really give him much help. And then comes the Blues game and the Avs dominate the whole game. But Tarasenko has that beauty of a shot laid and he still mm -hmm. gives up three goals. And I remember, you know, even messaging you guys after that goal and just being like, man, can Darcy have a game where he doesn't let in three goals? Because the Avs outshot the Blues 42-18 and he had let in three goals. And then it kind of slowly was building up for what ended up being his best game against Minnesota, where he was unbelievable. There was that one power play that the Wild had where he was making kick save after kick save. There was that shift in the first period where the Avalanche were hemmed in their own zone and he was making save after save and, you know, only let in one goal and it was on a goal that, you know, again, it was the second of two straight power play opportunities for Minnesota, but he's coming into his own. And I think Eric Johnson kind of said something that we often don't think about. Um, when he mentioned about Darcy Kemper kind of getting back into the groove, he said, when you come to a new team, uh, you have to, you know, everybody says the same things. You have to learn new systems and you have to learn, you know, new players and new this and new that. But Eric Johnson even said something along the lines of he has to learn the new calls from his defensemen. So the way you communicate with your defense. And I thought that was really interesting because I don't think that's something we ever think about. How you communicate with your defense, how you talk to them. Hell, I used to play, you know, in an indoor soccer league in Detroit. And I had two guys that were my consistent defensemen because I played goalie. And if somebody was in there that was different and I say something to them, they're like, what? And, and then you start to think about it. It's like, yeah, as a professional NHL goalie, when you're playing a sport, not like just some random, you know, soccer league or, you know, beer league hockey uh, tournament, there is very specific structure to your game, very specific ways that you communicate with your defense and with your team. And it really does take a lot for a goalie to learn a new system more so than players. So, you know, maybe that's why Grubauer had a slow start with the Avs. Maybe that's why Varley did too. And we're starting to see Kemper slowly, but surely get more comfortable with each passing game. Right. I mean, he didn't even let up the, that goal against Minnesota till about three minutes left in the second period. So he had a shutout going for quite some time. Um, I think the, the save that stood out to me the most, he had basically a, a guy coming in all by himself and he just snatched it quickly with the glove very confidently, right? Then he got popped it out of his glove, started playing with it and balancing it on the back of his glove. That's that's just showing some confidence he's right got there. Some, he's got some swagger to his game. I really like it. Right. It's, and it's growing, right? It's it's He's starting to let it out a little bit more because he's starting to feel good. Only thing I didn't like, I guess two things, we saw another kind of weak blocker side goal um, against him, right? That was that one goal against Minnesota. Um, and then in uh, Saint, the St. Louis game, he had another bad shot from the point that trickled in, you know, the first goal that St. Louis scored. You thought he had it, yeah. and it just slowly, like half a mile per hour, goes into the net behind him. So again, those the, the same two issues we discussed last week, the shots from the point are for some reason still giving him hard time and the blocker side. But um, yeah, a lot, nothing but progress, and I love what I'm seeing out of Kemper right now. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good way to put it. That that first goal against St. Louis was just like a 
gut punch because the Avalanche came out strong. They were flying. They played a really good structured game. And then that one kind of trickles in and you're like, are you kidding me? And that one came after the St. Paul Rantigal got called off for offside. Very, you know, obviously a very clear offside, but you're just like, this team cannot catch a break. Are they really about to lose to the 5-0 and Blues? Are they really about to fall to 2-5? and They don't have O'Reilly. They don't have Saad. Come on. And then they tied at 1-1 and then obviously they won. So things kind of flipped on a dime there real quick, but that goal just didn't look good at first. And, you know, another weak blocker side goal against Minnesota, but it was also on the power play and a nice one-timer, that bumper spot. It went 1-2-3 tic-tac-toe from the wild and, you know, those ones are hard to save, especially when they're in a high danger position like that. So it was a blocker side goal, but I'll, I'm willing to kind of give him a freebie on that one. But uh, I mean, he's playing well regardless, and it's it's nice to see him getting in a groove. Uh, lastly, for the Minnesota game, I think we should get into the hit on Bo and Byram, right? It looked pretty ugly. His bag was turned. Uh, I, I'm surprised he didn't have a scratch or any form of injury at all. He just kind of popped up and he was okay. But um, yeah, ugly hit and Again, I, I don't know. You're just kind of seeing the referees against the Avalanche for some reason. I hate saying that, and I, we talked about that last podcast. I don't like to bring up referees and make them an excuse because everybody deals with them. But, man, it, it started to be noticeable. Yeah, it was kind of a rough call. I, I, I will say that was the play that was for the Avalanche. And I'm going to say that for two reasons. Number one, so when the, when the play initially happened, I maybe I was looking at the wrong ref. Maybe I was just focused on the fact that Byram was down, that I didn't see a hand go up right away. But I, I don't remember seeing a hand go up right away. And in my head, I remember looking down and thinking, are they really not going to call a penalty on that? And then I saw McKinnon jump the guy and I'm like, now McKinnon's going to get an instigator and the Avs are going to be shorthanded for a dirty boarding hit or cross check, whatever you want to call it. They ended up calling it, I think, a cross check. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. And then the ref called all the penalties that he called. And I'm like, okay, those were two for two for the Avs. Because number one, they obviously got the five-minute major correctly. uh, Correct, which is something that was not gifted to the Avalanche. That was absolutely deserving. But the two gifts the Avalanche got, number one, they didn't call a fighting major on that play between Brandon DeHaim and Nathan McKinnon. Mm-hmm. I know Jared Bednar kind of called it a half, a half, half. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't because it was just a quick tussle. But the fact of the matter is they dropped the gloves. They both threw a couple punches and then Duheim kind of rustled McKinnon down to the ground pretty quick. But that was a fight by all sense of the word. Like that was an absolutely uh, a fighting major and it should have been called as such. And when I asked Nathan McKinnon about it, he was like, nah, man, I'm glad they didn't call that a fighting major. I kind of wanted to like joke around with him a little bit and be like, hey, did you feel disrespected that they didn't, you know, didn't consider that a fight? And he's like, no, I got to play on the power play. I didn't score on the five on three, but I hope I, I wish I did. So here is why that was a big thing for the Avs. Number one, because Duheim got a five-minute major, and you know, not that he's a big player on the wild anyway, but because he got a five-minute major, it also comes with a game misconduct. So how long he's in the box no longer matters. Two-minute minor, five-minute major, doesn't matter. He's out of the game regardless. But for Nathan McKinnon's side, five-minute major power play for the Avalanche, no five-minute major fight, that means McKinnon was able to play on the last three minutes of that power play which wouldn't have happened if he got a five-minute major. And the second thing is, and this is why I think the ref really thought to himself, the Avalanche deserve one here, is that if they called a five-minute major, you also have to call a two-minute instigator on McKinnon for instigating that fight. So they got away with two there. 
Not only did McKinnon not get a two-minute instigator, start causing a four-on-four and giving the Avs a full five-minute power play, they also didn't give him the five-minute major, which meant McKinnon could actually participate on that power play. And lo and behold, not calling the instigator, not calling the major ended up working because within the first two minutes of that PP and pretty early on, the Avs scored a power play goal that they probably would not have had if it was a four-on-four. So there was a lot of calls going against the Avs for a very long time. And at first, my initial thought was like, do I really have to come on the podcast and bitch about the refs not calling a major and then giving McKinnon an instigator and the Avs a PK for a dirty hit that Byram took? And then it kind of like started to stack up. And I was like, whew, it feels good to be on this side of it. And then I saw Michael Rousseau tweet all the things that he was tweeting about how it was ridiculous that it wasn't called a major and that McKinnon could play on the power play. And I'm like, whew, it really does feel good to be on this side of it. So for once... The Avs were getting some calls, and it was nice to see. Yeah, I guess what I kind of meant with that is just the fact that Duheim isn't facing any disciplinary action, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I was about to get to that. Yeah, I was about to get to that. That that's like that's that's how I took what you were saying to be, and uh, the fact that he's not is a little bogus. Um, if you're going to give Landeskog the power, the the not the power play, the uh, suspension that he got, the two gamer for that, and then you're going to get let Stamkos go off scot-free for what he did against Gerard, and then this guy's going to get the major, but not the suspension. At least we're kind of building toward where it should go, but it's still, it's ridiculous. Right, and this is, you know, this is where the referees kind of have to take control of that stuff, because if not, you know, that's when the players feel like they have to be the sheriffs, right, and step in, and, you know, who knows if Jared Benner ever gives them the green light to do anything like that, which we'll get into here in a second. But, you know, it, it has to be has to be sorted because it's it seems one sided right now. But yeah. Um, yeah. Let's take a quick break here to talk about our friends over at Total Beverage Arif. Everybody knows Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure. Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine and spirits. But did you know that they also deliver? Did you know that they also have curbside pickup available? And did you know that they do online wine education classes? Try to learn to be a sommelier yourself. If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th in Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at totalbeverage.com. Total Beverage, everything you need and more. Love having those guys on. Good guys. Good people, good guys, and big hockey fans. So, you know, if you ever go out there and go talk to the guys at Total Beverage, make sure you discuss the most recent Avalanche game and make sure you discuss Hockey Mountain High and really chat about how cool those guys on the podcast are too. Tell them Arif sent you, right? (laughs) That classic commercial line. (laughs) Um, uh, Time to move on. Let's look a little bit, uh, I I guess, injury troubles, right? They're kind of starting to peek their ugly little head again. Burakovsky uh, seems to have tweaked something kind of right as I'm pumping his tires and how much I loved that goal that he was a part of, right? I mean, I wouldn't say he's had the most amazing couple of games uh, since we last spoke, but just like McKinnon, he's starting to show some promise. I mean, there was one embarrassing play against St. Louis where he he skates the puck into the zone right when he gets across the blue line. I think he was trying to dump it in. Instead, he just fans on it and falls on his face. <laughs> so he's still got some way to go, but um, sounds like a little bit of a setback with a, with a minor tweak here. Yeah, and it was kind of uh, like deja vu with Jared Bednar. You know, we asked him after the game, what's going on with Andre Burakovsky? And he said, 
he tweaks something, lower body, you know, he's day to day. I don't have any other updates other than that. And then if you listen, not that I was in St. Louis, but if you listen uh, before the St. Louis game, after the morning skate, and then after the game, uh, I think Peter Ball was the one that was there and asked him, what's going on with Miko Rantanen? And he said he tweaked something at morning skate, lower body. He's day to day. Don't really have any updates on him. So whatever the hell these guys are tweaking, cut it out. Like it's, it's, <laughs> it's so weird because this season, the Avalanche has topped six has just been decimated those depth guys are are playing they're off scot-free darren helm and the type of physical game he plays logan o'connor has put himself into every kind of a dangerous situation known to man and has been healthy and you know not even like you know not even like going away with a bruise or having to leave the ice at any point like point like shaking a body part or holding his arm or anything the dude's in everybody's face um None of the none of the bottom six guys, Tyson Joes, JT Comfort, none of those guys are getting hurt even a little bit. But then you go to the top six. Nazem Kadri's played every single game, and I believe that's it. Because now, well, Burakovsky's also played every game, but not anymore because he's, you know, unless he plays the next one. Burakovsky missed a period. Miko Ranton's been out for a couple. Gabe Landeskog got suspended. Nathan McKinnon had COVID. Val Nichushkin hasn't been seen since opening night. The top six is just eating it. They're taking it game by game. And I don't know what it is, but if I'm Nazem Kadri, I'm I'm sort of wearing whatever extra pads Eric Johnson mm-hmm. wears because we're coming for you. You're the next guy on the on the list of the top six that hasn't been hurt yet. Yeah, maybe a garlic necklace too, right? Um the Rantanen thing. We were I think the evil was, eye Arabs. We were we were the evil eye. You gotta uh, wear that. I'm sure. I'm sure Kadri's got a few of them in his house. <laughs> we're getting more cultured by the day. But back to Miko Rantanen. You know, I thought it was just it's it was so random and mysterious, right? Just kind of out of nowhere. Um, we have no idea what's going on with him. No idea how long he's gonna be out. But uh, you know, it, it sucks to see because I I love the way Miko Rantanen plays. Everybody does, right? But I just think he's. Um, one of the most pivotal players on the team. God, that's not even a hot take. I don't know why I'm just saying things just to say them. But I, 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 we all miss Miko Rantanen, and I hate not having him in the lineup. So um, the fact that they got a couple wins without him is great. But, man, he, he's got to hurry his ass back. Yeah, and if especially if Andre Burakovsky is out too, man, you're going to be without Val, without Miko, and without Berkey. Or it's basically McKinnon, Kadri, Landeskog, and everybody else. And it's going to be kind of tough for the Avalanche, you know, our new favorite forward, Jacob McDonald, might end up playing in the top six at this point. But um, I asked Peter Baugh about Miko Rantanen because, again, he was the one in St. Louis that got to actually attend morning skate in the game. And I told him, did you see when Miko left the ice or did you notice anything? And he said, no, it was during the power play drill. Um, he was there and then he wasn't. So he didn't really catch when he left. There was no specific play where, you know, something hit him or something hurt him where you see him kind of like, uh, hodling his way to the bench. There was nothing specific that happened. He was just there and then he just left the ice and wasn't. And and Burakovsky was the same thing. You know, we started the third period and, and the guy on the announcer for the for the press room said, Andre Burakovsky's out, lower body injury, will not return. And there was no specific play. There was nothing specific that caused Burkey to leave. There was no play where we saw him skate off. He just finished the second period and didn't come out for the third. So something really weird is happening right now with these guys. Yeah, and then, you know, you can look at Devon Taves, right? I mean, 12 days ago, the Avalanche were heading out on that road trip to Washington, Florida, and Tampa Bay, and Devon Taves went with him. And we're thinking, oh, man, he might be right around the corner. We're about to see him still waiting to get Devon Taves into action. I mean, I know the the latest is that he's basically day-to-day, and he could be ready to go at any point, but we're still waiting on it. What's up with that? Yeah, so on Tuesday, Jared Bednar said that he was cleared for contact, and he's taking controlled contact for about a week. 
So uh, that obviously means from that Tuesday till this upcoming Tuesday, he's not going to play. But the Avalanche don't play till Wednesday. And then after Wednesday, they play on Saturday. And then after Saturday, they don't play till the following Thursday because this is that one part of the schedule with the two back-to-backs against Columbus that were supposed to be in Finland. So today's Sunday, October 31st, between now and November 11th, the Avalanche only play two games. So it's a good time for him to get through that controlled contact, which I've never heard a coach use that phrase before, but it makes sense. Um, It's a good time for him to get through that, to get into one of these games. If not Wednesday, then I assume next week, Sunday, when we podcast, we're going to be talking about Devon Taves' debut the night before, unless there's a setback, which at this point, anything is possible. All right, we're almost there then. That's exciting. And yeah, great point, right? The two games in 11 days is a fantastic time to get your start into a season, almost his own little preseason right there. And luckily, Columbus isn't very good, right? I was just watching the Columbus and New Jersey game, and both teams just did not look good, and and they looked tired by the end of it. So hopefully the Avs can just run them out of the building here on Wednesday. Yeah, Columbus is 5-3, and which I know is a better record than the Avs, but they're not the most skilled, and Patrick Laine's only got three goals. Bjorkstrand is actually having a good season randomly. Oliver Bjorkstrand has been pretty good, but they are a hardworking team. So if you're the Avalanche and you do anything less than the type of performance you had against the Blues in the wild, you're going to get upset by the Blue Jackets. So you got to keep your foot on the pedal, work hard, and you can beat them 4-1, 5-1, 6-1, whatever, something like that. But you cannot take those games lightly because they are a hardworking team and they'll outwork you. Yeah, absolutely. So let's dive into the St. Louis game here, Arif. And I guess I want to start with this question. Would you say that the St. Louis Blues are the Colorado Avalanche's new arch rivals? Yeah, I think that's safe to say. Uh, This kind of reminds me of the Avalanche and Wild rivalry that for so many years, it was kind of, we hated them and they hated us, but the Wild always had the upper hand on the Avalanche. And right now it seems that way with the Avs and the Blues. Because the one time they played in the playoffs, the Avs ran them out of the series 4 nothing in a sweep. I mean, the one time they played recently, they obviously played 20 years ago too. But I would say so, yeah. And the fact that they have Brandon Saad, they were going hard on Landeskog, Ryan O'Reilly's their captain. There's a lot of storylines there. There's a ton of storylines there. And uh, the Justin Falk and Azam Kadri hit is a new part of it. The Braden Shen, Gabe Landeskog fight. The Braden Shen, Nazem Kadri fight. And now... Justin Falk deciding Kadri hasn't answered the bell enough. I'm going to fight him too. And I'm going to do it in a very dirty way and kind of jump him while he's down. Yes. They're the new rivals. Yeah. So let's get into that Falk Kadri fight. Cause you know, it really riled me up and it riled me up for a lot of reasons. A, like you said, Kadri answering the bell again. Are we going to be seeing this for every single time the Avalanche play St. Louis this year? Is this going to be a reoccurring first shift? Kadri has to fight somebody. And it, it really angered me the way Falk went about it too, right? I, yeah. I think there should have been, I know you get the extra two minutes for the instigator, but there should have been a harsher punishment because Kadri was not interested in fighting. Falk literally picked him up by the jersey, made him drop the gloves, and then got into it with him so yeah he kind of ragdolled him a little bit too at least Braden Shen uh does it the NHL code way where he you know finds a willing combatant and they go at it what Justin Falk did was not that and I I really didn't like the play at all right and then even more so what made me mad is the lack of response from the avalanche. And if I'm Nazem Kadri, I kind of feel disrespected. Now, I think reading the body language, he was probably fine with it. And he later went on to score that huge goal, which made it 3-1 and kind of put the... And that beauty of a celly. Yeah, man, you know that felt good for him. He was pumped about that. But um, I I just feel like he's a little bit slighted by his teammates and maybe even his coach that nobody's really standing up for him, right? And then you saw even after the St. Louis game, Jared Bednar kind of 
pointed the finger at Kadri for uh, getting the extra misconduct and instigating with Jordan Bennington there. So, um, yeah, again, I don't think he's rattled about it, but I'm rattled about it for him. Yeah, the Avalanche, if you are a uh, wrestling fan and know the terms babyface and heel, the Avalanche too often play that babyface thing. And Jared Bednar has that persona at all times. And I kind of wish just for a little bit, because this is the kind of guy Nazem Kadri is. And you have Gabe Landeskog. You have these personalities that are just very easy to hate if you're the other team. Uh, guys like Landy and Kadri and O'Connor and guys like that. But you've got to start to be a little bit of a heel there. If you're Jared Bednar, you got to start ripping into some guys. You got to start talking about Justin Falk. You, you know, in a, in a respectful, but at least a subtle way, at least to start. Um, because I didn't like that play at all. I didn't like the fact that the avalanche didn't answer back. And I kind of thought that they were going to lose that game. Cause in my head, I was like, they just have no fire in them, but they were so heavily focused on just trying to play their right style of game that they were so programmed to just, you know, do the hockey thing and not the physicality thing. And, you know, it ultimately paid off. They played the game the right way. Nazem Kadri kept his cool, scored a big goal. And then, you know, had that bullshit with Jordan Bennington, which we'll talk about in a sec, but, um, I didn't like that at all. I didn't like the way Justin Falk went about it. And, you know, even Kadri's quote after, he's like, you know, I, you know, if, if they want to keep fighting me, that's fine, but I'm, I'm ready to close a chapter on this whole St. Louis thing. Like, are they going to do this every single game? Because I think that St. Louis thinks that that hit is what kind of changed the series for them. But that hit was in game three of a series that they were getting swept out of the building mm-hmm. right. or game two, sorry, late in game two. So St. Louis has to get over it. They weren't going to beat the Avalanche. They were a over an 82-game season playing. They played as a 92-point team last year. That's the pace they had in their 56-game schedule. They were not a good team. And I think that they think that the Kadri hit is what caused them to kind of get unraveled there in those two games after the hit. So it's ridiculous. You know, this this was nothing like, let's say, for example, when Tyson Berry got injured by Matt Cook in 2014. This wasn't that, you know, Matt Cook changed the series, that seven-game series there. He changed it with that Barry hit. The Kadri hit on Falk did not change the series. I understand your piss because your guy got hurt, and uh, it was a dirty hit, admittedly so. You know, he kind of missed his head and, and injured Justin Falk, and I understand that, but Braden Shen already fought him opening night. He answered the bell, move on, but, you know, Justin Falk decided to take take a fight himself, and that's fine if you kind of you know, try to try to drop the gloves with Kadri and go with him. But Falk decided to go about it in a dirty way. And now it's like, all right, well, now we're going to have to get you back being the avalanche because now you guys have kind of like tipped the scales here and it's just it's getting old. Right. And it was frustrating, too, to see that McDermott was in the lineup that night. Right. And that's the sole reason he was brought on this team was to handle situations like that rather than, you know, playing him at defense and watching him have a hard time skating around. Let him go out there and do his job, in my opinion. Right. And that, that's what was extra frustrating to me as well. Too many people piss and moan about Darcy Kemper getting traded for a first rounder and, and Connor Timmons as if it was a bad trade. The bad trade was McDermott for a fourth round draft pick. Because that was, I don't care if, if if you got him for the playoffs or you got him for Vegas or whatever the hell you got him for. First of all, they lost to Vegas the game they played. Second of all, that is exactly the reason why he was brought in. Like you said, there is no excuse for McDermott not to step in there and not to start being an asshole and bullying the Blues. That's mm-hmm. literally the only reason why he's in the lineup. It doesn't matter that it's the seventh regular season game of the season and there's still, you know, 75 more games before you get to the playoffs. Literally, this is a team that you're going to be challenging in the playoffs. It's a team you're going to be fighting for the President's Trophy, and it's a team you're going to be fighting for the division lead. 
you have to, you know, set an example there and you have to set your mark and kind of let it be heard that you are here for a reason. He didn't do that. I don't know if that was a coaching decision and they told him to lay low or if McDermott just wasn't interested in doing it. But that trade is terrible if he's not going to do the one thing he was brought in to do. Right. And instead, you saw the opposite happening. And St. Louis kind of started bullying the Avalanche a little bit more. And they kept pushing guys around. You kept seeing Logan O'Connor get shoved around and in, in little after whistle scraps. And, um, you know, that's kind of what I was wondering about what, while I was watching that, right? I'll walk you through my thought process. I'm like, all right, well, maybe Jared Bednar, you know, he's very uh, even keeled mentally he's probably saying let's keep let's take care of the scoreboard first and let's tack some goals on and win this game and then maybe we'll answer it right and so I thought after Kadri's 3-1 goal I think that's what that's what they went into the second intermission as 3-1 so I'm like all right the, f- the third period here is going to start we're going to start seeing some of that uh Avs answer back here but instead they didn't they kept getting pushed around and St. Louis kind of slowly crept back into that game. Luckily, the Avalanche still won 4-3, to three, but a 3-1 lead going into the third period, you know, turning into a 4-3 and, and it had to kind of come down to the final seconds. Yeah, I think the Avalanche could have handled that better and maybe even blown the wheels off by starting that little a bit of agitation there in the third period and knock St. Louis completely off their game. Instead, they got back into the game. Yeah, I didn't like that at all. I didn't like the fact that like you said, like the third period is when you're supposed to do that. And and the fact of the matter is, you know, you like you said, it's a three to one lead. But as soon as Braden Shen scores and makes it three to two and Kale McCarr answers back, what was it, 30, 40 seconds later to make it uh, four to two and give you back a multi-goal lead, that's when you're supposed to start playing that game and the abs didn't do that. Um so I don't know. It just kind of, again, it's it's the the Jared Bednar baby face personality of we're beating them four to two. Let's beat them on the ice. We're good. We're fine. And I don't like it um, because then you said you had the whole Jordan Bennington situation where he went after Logan O'Connor for literally no reason. And then all the stuff that followed after that. And it's like, this is exactly why you have Curtis McDermott. This is exactly why you have to uh, play the game that we're requesting and we're trying to get the to, to play because of the fact of the matter is Bennington can be a good goalie. I'm not saying he is a good goalie and I never will. He can be a good goalie, but he's very easy to knock off his game. And once you knock him off his game and he starts to get into that weird place where he starts to do all the bullshit we saw that he was doing where with, he acts like a child where he acts like Aaron, a child thank doing. you it's gutless it's the biggest bull crap when you're swinging your stick at people when you're fake and he shot the puck at darcy kemper shot the cup right? at, puck at darcy kemper who was at the green blue line darcy kemper standing there like i'm not philip grubauer who's just gonna trash you in the media and be like oh no i'm just here to you know beat him in the series i'm not here to fight him i don't know why he thinks that which you know i loved when grubauer did that because it made binnington feel this small but Kemper is standing at the blue line like, no, nah, I'll actually beat the living shit out of you. So if you want to come skate yeah. over here and fake fight me, uh, I'll beat the crap out of you. I'll beat the wheels off of you. And then he swings his stick. And, you know, he has a history of this. He did the whole fake blocker punch to Eric Carlson, you know, tough guy going after, uh, you know, a defenseman that never fights. And then he swings his stick from like six feet away. And your stick is three or four or five feet at Nazem Kadri's head, a goalie paddle. Like that's one little slip of a mistake away from knocking him in the noggin. The way, if you remember one time, Keith Ballard accidentally hit his own goalie. I think it was Thomas Vokun hit him in the head and Vokun was just bleeding from the side of the helmet. Like you were that close to just knocking the living crap out of Nazem Kadri out. 
and you're trying to play it like this whole, I'm going to screw with Kadri a little bit. It's like- Major flinch. Ma- yeah, the major flinch thing with a goalie paddle to the head. <laughs> yeah. Are you serious? How stupid could you be? And then, you know, he comes out to the media afterward, the day the day after, and he has this quote where it's, um, what happened in the scr- scrum last night was heat of the moment. I may have taken it a little too far. I don't want to condone the stick swinging. I definitely don't want kids out there swinging their sticks. It was an emotional situation. Are you serious? Like, come on. Well, someone please think of the kids. <laughs> I mean, that's a PR stunt. That's <laughs> the blues looking at him and being like, hey, uh, this is what we're going to need you to say. Um, also, maybe stop swinging your stick at players and fake punching people with their blockers and shooting pucks at goalies. Like literally in my head, I'm like, this guy's going to screw with the wrong person one day and get the wheels beat off of him. But here's the problem. Nobody wants to fight Jordan Bennington because they look at him and think, I don't want to hurt this freaking idiot. Because two of the people that he's messed with, one of them was Devin Dubnik when he was with San Jose. He fake punched Eric Carlson and skated over to Dubnik. Dubnik's a psycho. <laughs> like he will fight anybody and anything. We've seen this. You know, we saw him tackle AJ Greer and all these avalanche guys when he was with Minnesota. And Dubnik didn't fight him. And then he swung his stick at Nazem Kadri. Kadri doesn't need a reason to beat the wheels off of someone. And he gave him a reason to get his wheels beat off of him. You know, obviously it's a player goalie thing. So it's not as, not the norm. You generally will see goalies fight each other. But nobody wants to fight the guy. Everybody just feels sorry for him because he looks like an idiot when he does this stuff. And I just, I don't know. I I don't like the guy. I never have. I don't like his personality. I don't like the way he, he talks to the media. Uh, I don't like anything about him. He's just a very uneasy, uncomfortable guy to be around. And 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 the bullshit he's doing just further proves that like he's he's just the most hateable guy in the NHL. It's not like, oh, we hate him on the ice and we love him otherwise. No, he's just a feels like a terrible dude. Yeah, and I think he he feels uh I don't know, like he's got the protection of his teammates, right? So he can kind of go around act like a jerk and he'll his guys will have his back, but I think one day they're going to get tired of it and be like, "No, if you if you want to start stuff with Darcy Kemper, you can let him handle it and you can handle it on your own." Yeah, Colton Pareko's back there looking like the bad guy from Rocky that he fought in one of the movies and is just sitting there like, "I'm not going to stick up for you if you're going to do this dumb shit." Right. Yeah, you're my teammate, but you're also an idiot. Exactly. But it's just, gr- it's just great that he tried to pull that crap against the Avalanche literally seven games into the season because I have spent the last eight or nine episodes that we've been recording talking about all the reasons why I'm uneasy about Bennington and it culminated to that moment just perfectly. <laughs> like there is nothing I've said that is an over-exaggeration or an overreaction. This is the type of dude he is and it's ridiculous. It's just gutless. It's the most cowardish bullshit I've ever seen a goalie do. Yeah, and I would buy into his statement a little bit more if it came after the game rather than 24 hours later when, you know, somebody slipped him a piece of paper and said, hey, read this. Yeah, exactly. And especially in St. Louis where, you know, they're starting to develop great youth hockey programs and they're like, hey, um, we're going to need you to say this because we're trying to actually build something here, not just, you know, cater to our psycho goalie couple other things let's move on from the negative and talk about the positive because it was a win right and that's what we uh really are here for so jt comfort with a two gold night i mean we've been pumping his tires all season long um but to see it come out with two goals like that and one of them on a tip which was nice and that's freaking hard to do you know kind of a little gabe landeskog rubbing off on him um yeah jt comfort playing great hockey right now and is maybe you know I guess he's the bright he's the bright spot of the team when things are kind of not exactly going the way you need them to. He's kind of still there and, and coming in consistently. So loving JT Confer right now. Four goals, four assists, eight points, eight games. 
He's got 40 more games to get 10 points to match his performance from last year. That's how much better he's playing. Again, he's got four goals in eight games. Like his career high is 16. And he did that in that 2019 season when, uh, or, or when he missed 16 games with an injury. So, oh, it's kind of crazy to think that JT Conference ever played 70 games in a season because COVID kind of ruined it in 2020. But yeah, he's got four goals and eight points in eight games. He's got an opportunity to blow away his career numbers. And if he's going to play this kind of game, he's well worth the money he makes. And uh, if he brings this game in the playoffs, then that's when it's going to matter most. Because I think the biggest issue the Avalanche, the biggest issue the Avalanche had with JT Comfort's game last year and why he needed to rebound in a big way wasn't just the fact that he had the regular season he had and ended up on the fourth line. It was a playoff performance he had. Because in the two years prior, in 27 games between 2019 and 2020, in 27 playoff games, he had 14 points. He was operating at, at over a point over a half a point per game last year he had one goal and two points in 10 games one goal one assist so if he's going to play this kind of game and he's going to do it all regular season and into the playoffs he's a three and a half he's a three and a half million dollar forward he's a big piece of this team and he's the exact kind of player along with logan o'connor and the type of game he's kind of developing he's the exact kind of player you want in the playoffs shout out to jt comfort he has done everything to kind of rebound every part of his game from last year to this year. Yeah, a couple podcasts ago, we were talking about how the Avalanche are kind of having a tough time getting into the dangerous areas. And then a completely different podcast, we talked about how we like Tyson Jost and JT Comfer, Darren Helm, because they're getting into those dangerous areas. And that's exactly what you're seeing from JT Comfer. Both of his goals uh, against the Blues were right in the, right in the slot, right in between the circles. And, uh, you know, that's where the magic happens. And he's getting there and he's making things happen. And, um, yeah, love, love what he's doing there. Um, also, that game against St. Louis, we had an emergency forward step into the lineup, and that's Jacob McDonald. Did pretty well. It was a pretty solid performance out of him. I liked seeing it, and it's just a fun little thing to talk about with his goofy, toothless smile. So uh, I learned during that game that Jacob McDonald had played forward quite a few times with the Colorado Eagles. So he's done it before. Um, what I love about Jacob McDonald playing forward is in each of his two games that he's played, mind you, he's played a total of 18 minutes and six seconds total, not like per game. He played 1047 against St. Louis. He played 719 against Minnesota. He had four shots in each game. Like he's getting to the areas where you need to be. And the fact that he's not a perimeter player, not just as a defenseman, but as a forward now, he's not a perimeter player. He's always down low and in the crease and in those dirty areas to have eight shots in 17 minutes says that the dude is busting his ass off. And I know he didn't have any points, but man, he looks fun to watch at forward. And it kind of says a lot about the, you know, the depth that the Avalanche have and the kind of the wake up call they're sending to guys like Bowers and Newhook and them to have Jacob McDonald step in and play. Granted, if you call up Newhook or Bowers, you don't want them playing 17 minutes over two games. You want them to see a little bit of more of ice time, but uh, I'm liking what I see from Jacob. It's not a full season thing, but you know, in a pinch, it's not bad at all. Yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, last thing I wanted to talk about from that St. Louis game was the uh, almost Sampo Ranta's first goal. Reason I wanted to talk about that, of course, it was taken back off a high stick, but it, I got offside. for the first time. Oh, yeah, offside, offside, yeah. which was crazy too, because I don't know what the ref was watching. Even I was like, that was offside. It was like and then the clearest offside. I don't know yeah. how he missed it. 
nobody reacted. No St. Louis Blues were complaining about it on the ice, right? Waving their hand up and being like, hey, that was offside. Uh, they just kind of played along. So I'm like, all right, maybe, maybe I'm wrong because it was against the wall, you know, where the camera is. So you're right, offsides. Um, but the reason I want to talk about it is because I got to look at his stick, Sample Ranta's stick, and he tapes his stick like an absolute psychopath just on the very tip of the blade, maybe two strands of Ooh, tape. It's, now I got to look it up. It's weird. Yeah, definitely take a look at it. Everybody out there, um, you know, maybe watch the video or, or, or Google it if you can find it. But yeah, he, he tapes his stick like a crazy man. Well, I hope the crazy man and the crazy stick job actually gets his first career goal here soon. It would have been nice to see him score that, man, because the kid really, he really could be a good player this year. And I know he's still kind of developing his game, but a goal is the kind of thing that can get you up and running. And it was just a shame to see it kind of get cold off, especially considering Martin Kaut went into the net and fished it out. And uh, probably after they called it off, he's just like, oh, fuck it. He just threw it back. Whatever. We don't need this thing anymore. Yeah, just give it to a fan at that point, right? But yeah, same same thing I noticed too. I mean, they went through all the measures. You hate to see a call back on a guy's first goal just because, uh, you know, they jumped through some hoops to try to get him that puck. Yeah. Um, time to talk about DraftKings Sportsbook. Guys, of course, we love DraftKings Sportsbook. They've been with us for quite some time. So if you haven't checked them out already, you're absolutely blowing it. But NFL fans... If you're hungry for a big win this week, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Winner, winner, chicken parm dinner. That's how Gross always says it. And man, $200 in free bets, you can lay a mean parlay. And not to mention, you can now do in DraftKings Sportsbook, they have same game parlay. So you can get skin in that way and maybe even drop that whole $200 on a same game parlay. Those are so fun. You can combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. And DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code MHS for Mile High Sports. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and you can win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code MHS this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, Colorado-only, new customers-only restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. So, yeah, we kind of already got into the Columbus uh set that they're about to play here one home one away with the blue jackets uh during an 11 day span um so i don't think we have to get too much further into it but i mean just this amount of rest is really the most notable part about it right especially that we mentioned a couple injuries creeping in and uh just having that amount of time is going to be wild i mean i I look at that second week in november and i'm wondering if when the hell are we supposed to podcast are we just supposed to podcast with no game happening and just make up our own little maybe that's when we do the Landiscog <laughs> ode and just do an entire hour for his season so yeah. far yeah maybe we'll do Thursday and Sunday and just recap each of the games and do just a quick look on each one and you know talk about who's injured from that last game because it seems to be the new thing that the Avalanche have but uh, no I mean it's the Blue Jackets have been like I said they've been fun to watch I guess the only thing I'll do I'll say here uh, because the Avalanche are likely to see him, is uh, I just want to give a shout-out to Elvis Merzlikens. Hell of a season so we, far. Hell of a season so far, but you know we all know the offseason he had. Mm-hmm. He was in uh, Michigan. He was in, uh, I think it was Canton, Michigan, at the home of Manny Legacy when his best friend, Matisse Kivlenix, the firework hit him and, and, and obviously fatally, fatally killed him. And that whole accident happened. It's his best friend. Um, and he came out before the season with 
the personality that he has and the confidence that he has. And he said, I'm going to win the Vezina trophy and I'm going to do it for Matisse. And through five games, the, the, the blue jackets are five and three, but Elvis Merzlikens is four and one with a one nine, eight goals against average and a nine thirty nine save percentage. He's faced 163 shots and only 10 have passed him. He is having an unbelievable season. So shout out to Elvis Merzlikens. Um, I hope he does everything but everything good but win the games against the Avalanche, obviously, because you'd like to see the Avalanche continue this streak that they're on. But man, that dude is having a great year, um, and he's obviously doing it with heavy hearts. Yeah, hoping the Avalanche don't light him up too much because you don't want the Avalanche to ruin his business because everybody's cheering for him, right? I mean, when you say something like that and you're doing it for that kind of reason, um, I think everybody's got your back. So, you know, I hope he accomplishes his goal because that'd be awesome to see. Yeah, he's one of, you know, a few Latvians that have ever played in the NHL. And obviously Matisse was also Latvian. But uh, yeah, shout out to him. I just, I can't say enough good things about the kind of, the kind of things he's going through and the kind of season he's having. He's, he's talking the talk and he's walking the walk. So, you know, I can't wait to see him play. And, you know, if, if I can uh, sneak into the Columbus media availability, as long as it doesn't overlap with the Avalanche, I'd love to talk to him too. So that would be pretty cool. Yep. Absolutely. And then uh, I wanted to get your brief thoughts. Let's not dive too much into it, but the Colin Wilson article that came out in the article uh, in the Players Tribune, um, of course, is kind of a, a sequel to his first article and kind of coming clean a little bit more and kind of uh, just opening himself up. And I, I took it was tough on him, I'm sure. And, you know, you love to see that he's doing better now and he's doing this article for the right reasons, not so much that he's in a bad spot, but that he's in a good spot and he wants people to know that there, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And, and of course, with his friend Hazy, uh, Jimmy Hayes not uh, surviving the same battle, he, he just felt like he had to come out. So, yeah, just briefly, what do, what do you what are your stance on it? I mean, obviously, we're all in support. Speaking out can change lives and, and speaking out can alter what happens in somebody else's life. And uh, that's ultimately what Colin Wilson is trying to do here. I mean, when Jimmy Hayes passed and when it finally became apparent for why, you know, he had suddenly passed away, his wife and his dad, uh, his father and his family made the very, you know, difficult decision of speaking out and mentioning that this was a battle that Jimmy was fighting and it had ultimately taken his life. And, uh, you know, that kind of motivated Colin Wilson and inspired him to come out and speak against it as well. And now you have two big NHL names, two big families in the NHL, you know, Colin Wilson and, and the, the Hayes family speaking out against this addiction that they have. And it could change somebody's life. And it's the same reason why Kyle Beach stepping up, you know, we talked about it on Wednesday, Kyle Beach stepping up could ultimately change somebody else's life as well. It could help others come forward and it could help others kind of drive that change that you want to see with, with uh, the sexual allegations and the things that he was talking about as compared to the, um, the opioid addictions that Colin Wilson was talking about and what ultimately took Jimmy Hayes' life. So, you know, shout out to Colin Wilson. Just the way that he started that second story, this this follow-up in the Players' Tribune where he said, last time we talked, I wasn't completely honest, was just powerful in itself. Because he said all the things he said last time of all the things that he was struggling with and his OCD and all that, and he still had something bottled up inside. So, you know... Stick taps and big shout out to Jimmy Hayes' family and, and, and his wife and, and stick taps to Colin Wilson for coming out and having the courage to write that story. Um, I miss the dude. He was such a cool guy. And, uh, you know, I hope this this inspires change for somebody else. I'm always so amazed. And, you know, this is kind of what the Hayes' family doing when somebody has a tragedy like that and the family is quick to, you know, not 
I don't want to say not feel sorry for themselves, but that's kind of what I'm saying. They're not going to sit around and feel sorry for themselves. They're going out there and trying to make change in the community and take the the tragedy that happened and spin it to make something positive out of it. And that just has to be so hard. And, um, you know, it's amazing to me every time I see that kind of stuff happen. So yes, they're, they're better, they're better people than I, you know, ever can imagine myself being because when I'm facing a difficult situation, the last thing that I think about, because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a human mentality. When you're facing a situation, you go into survival mode and you want to fix what you're dealing with. And the last thing that would come to mind for me, and you know, I say this not having been in a situation like that, so I don't really know how I would react in the moment, but it's like the last thing I would do is 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 want to focus on anybody else and rather just focus on myself and how to make myself better. But ultimately, you know, what could happen be happening here is them knowing that them speaking out isn't just going to f- help somebody else, but it's going to help them knowing that they're going to inspire change and hopefully change somebody else's future and, and what ultimately ends up happening to them. So it's 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 one of the most courageous things I've seen and just the 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 quickness of which they had like sort of jumped on it and, and came out and, and talked, I think, to the Boston Globe about what had happened to Jimmy um, was just inspiring to see. And it was great to see Colin Wilson you know, likely reach out to the Players Tribune himself and be like, hey, I got I got another story to write. I, I got another thing to talk about. So, you know, just great, great work all around from all those guys. It's it's a tough thing to talk about, but it's it's great to see them stepping up and really being public about all of this stuff and just so open about mm-hmm. it. Absolutely. So on that note, let's try to end this pos- this uh, podcast a little bit more positively here, Arif. We've got the Mile High Sports three stars of the week presented by DraftKings Sportsbook and... Our friends over at Total Beverage, don't forget about them too. Our newest friends, that is. And star number three, Arif, we're going to go to Eric Johnson, just because what we talked about, watching him score that goal and the elation he had, the celebration, his big toothless smile. And, you know, he always drops like a fuck yeah. I think that's what he did. It's got to be tough when you're uh, missing the th- half of your front teeth, right? Catch, catching that F. Yeah, <laughs> there's a big lisp in catching that F. Yeah, exactly. Without the tooth teeth right there. So, yep, shout out to Eric Johnson. Good to see him find some success and playing well and kind of getting to be the Eric Johnson that we all know and love. Yeah, absolutely. I love to see him score. He had a goal and an assist. Um, he's playing well, man. He's played all eight games. He's playing 16, 17, eight minutes. He's turning into a role player, and he's doing a damn good job of it. Nathan McKinnon talked about how you know, vital of a piece he would have been to their playoff race last year. And you can just tell that he is still a large part of this team, not just as a personality and a figure in the locker room, but as a player on the ice. And uh, that right there, that second part, the player on the ice is is sticking it to me and and, and all the thoughts I had about him in the offseason. So shout out to EJ. We're going to make it up to you with a star here. Yep, absolutely. Same here. I can't, I can't say that uh, I was exactly in his corner over the offseason. Star number two, we got to go to Nassim Kadri just because what he's gone through these last couple games, what he went through uh, with Justin Falk, making him fight and getting that uh, goal to make it 3-1 and then scoring in Minnesota too. He's feeling himself. He's playing well. You love to see the confidence. And, man, I, I just, I've, got, I've got his back. Maybe the team might not. But I've got his back, and I'm I'm angry for him, like I said, and I, I just love to see him thrive the way he is right now. Yep, 21 very, very, very strong minutes played against the Minnesota Wild, only 13 against St. Louis, but like you said, he scored in each one. And uh, those two goals kind of stopped the four-game stretch where he had no points. So he's back up to three goals and six points in eight games, um, and he's doing everything the Avalanche need him to do. So far, so good this season for Kadri. Shout out to him. Keep it consistent. That's all he needs. 
Star number one, much like Eric Johnson, who we kind of poo-pooed during the offseason, we got to give it to JT Comfort because he's playing unbelievable hockey. I love the stat breakdown that you had. He's basically at a point a game right now. And um, yeah, I mean, it's great to see a guy in the depth step up and and assume a role when he's needed most. So uh, he's handling that role well, and hopefully it continues. Yeah, JT Confer and Eric Johnson make a combined $9.5 million against the Avalanche's cap. That's over one-ninth of their total salary, obviously, the 81 and a half. And, you know, that's kind of why we poo-pooed them a lot is because JT didn't have a good season last year and EJ played four games. And, you know, that's salary they could have used elsewhere, but both of them have stepped up. Both of them are playing well. I'm not going to say EJ's worth $6 million, but he's definitely deserved that money because when you play as good as he did in his 20s to sign a contract that he did, he deserves it. And uh, he's been a he's been a noticeable piece. And for JT Comfer, he has been excellent. I am loving the game that JT's playing. He's a utility player. You can stick him up and down the lineup. He's actually over over. He's actually also over 50% in the faceoff dot this year, which he's never done in his career. So he's just doing it all for the Avs right now. Playing on power play, penalty kill, top line minutes whatever you need from him he's doing it he definitely deserves star number one from us this week i love it i love it Arif. that's a good podcast so of course we got to thank everybody for listening as always we love every single one of you and we love interacting with you so hit us up on twitter i think you know where to find us Arif, any closing thoughts before we wrap up the podcast for this beautiful halloween sunday that's it for me the avalanche play two games over the next 11 days let's see if they can get a little bit of you know, some luck on their side in the health department and really prepare for a good stretch of games in November. I'm excited to see that they're only playing 10 games over these next 30 days. And I'm excited to see that we're going to see some new competition. We're going to play Seattle in November. We're going to see Vancouver, teams that we never saw last year. So obviously Columbus being one of those teams as well. So that's all I got. Absolutely. And uh, of course, don't forget to check out our friends at DraftKings Sportsbook with that promo code MHS to score some big time profit boosts. And of course, Total Beverage. Check them out for any uh, of your libation needs. But other than that, that'll wrap us up for this week's podcast. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll catch you later in the week, likely after that Columbus game. Break that down for you in depth. Maybe probably a little bit quicker of a podcast. But as always, if you made it this far in the podcast, bless your heart. Hockey's for everyone. And we got you.